The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. Disclaimer. Horror Hill is a horror anthology podcast, bringing you scary stories from all corners of the internet and beyond. As such, certain stories include content that some listeners might find offensive. In particular, tonight's episode includes content relating to the suicide of a child and mentions of sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening, my friends, and welcome back to Horror Hill. I'm Eric Peabody, and tonight we're going to be concluding a tale that we've been reading for the last two episodes. Before we get started, I'll provide a brief synopsis of the events thus far, but if you haven't heard the first two parts of this story, I highly recommend listening to those episodes before continuing with this one. Mark Rowland, the author and main character of this story, has been having a rough time. As a horror writer struggling with writer's block, he started finding inspiration in collecting murderabilia, items from the scenes of actual homicides. Most recently, he has obtained the two iconic eye windows from a very particular house in Amityville, New York. Since then, Mark has been losing himself to a presence that he feels growing in his mind, slowly taking control. His life has been deteriorating since then, culminating in him sexually assaulting his wife and in his daughter committing suicide. Tonight, we return to the aftermath of that terrible event, which leads into Mark's final struggle with this malicious presence. As with the previous two episodes, voice actress Danielle Hewitt will be joining us this evening. Please join me in welcoming her back to the show. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to help support Horror Hill and also remove these pesky ads, head to ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. You'll get instant access to hundreds of ad-free stories, and we can scale back some of our uh, less savory means of generating money for the show. By the way, 
You wouldn't happen to still have all of your organs, would you? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. And now, from author Mark Rowland, I give you the conclusion to The Eyes of Amityville. Chapter 10 Aftermath I was in the midst of a nightmare of grand proportions. I could see my family amongst the greenery of the fields, laughing and playing. It was a beautiful summer's day, and the lake beyond was glistening to the point of making me squint. I had arrived late to the festivities, as usual fortune would have it. My loved ones were already folding up their picnic blankets and putting the drinks back into the cooler. I spotted Emily attempting to wrap the kite twine back onto its spool, with Jack behind her back, snickering at her troubles. I was shouting at them to wait for me, but for some reason they couldn't hear my pleas. They walked away, into the valley beyond, but as hard as I tried, I couldn't catch up with them. The sun was quickly receding into the background, and my family had left me. It was just me, and the dark. I was afraid. As I awoke from the dream, I realized that the true nightmare at hand was a far more frightening thing than any state of unconsciousness could ever afford. The usual haze of wakening dissipated, and I was able to clearly make out the coroner's vehicle parked to the right of me, with its humongous letters on the side introducing the gravity of the situation to any and all onlookers. There were many. To the left were my wife and son, sitting on the curb, holding each other in the midst of their own individual emotional breakdowns. My house was taped off, and police were walking in and out of my front door at will. I tried to get up from where I was, but someone's hand held me down. It was an EMT. Apparently, I was on a gurney, and my forearms were wrapped with gauze because of my injuries. Mr. Rowland, welcome back. I... The man was looking towards the asphalt as he spoke. I would save him the trouble of what he was already struggling to tell me. I already know. She's gone. Now let me the fuck up off of this. Not so fast, Mr. Rowland. I have a few questions for you. I'm Officer Steiger. A police officer interjected from behind before I could spring from my makeshift prison. I barked at him as he entered my line of vision. 
Questions? At a time like this? I just saw my daughter jump out the fucking window. I need to see my family. I was in no mood whatsoever. Whoa there, Mark. Calm down. Getting defensive isn't going to help anyone. First off, I'm extremely sorry for your loss. He was a dark-skinned fellow with a thick black mustache. Inside, a part of me giggled. It was literally a stereotypical image of a cop from an 80s movie. Even had the listen to me or I'll beat your ass type of tone in his voice. I mean, what do you need to know? Emily... Emily jumped. We tried to stop her. I almost had her. Just one more second. The visual of the event jumped back into my mind, and I began to sob. I'm gonna level with you, Mark. A seven-year-old committing suicide is kind of unheard of. Your wife said that there had been issues inside the home as of late. What kind of things were going on? Steiger's words had me surprised. On the day of my daughter's death, he was actually interrogating me. And Jess... I wondered what the fuck she had said to him already. I had to be careful. Don't forget about your little secret in the attic, Mark. I bet they spotted it. Sure won't look good if they did. Not really anything out of the ordinary. You know how married life is. Stress, stress, stress. Didn't have anything to do with the kids, though. As I backpedaled from the question, I spotted Harold out of the corner of my eye watching from his porch and shaking his head. It just kept getting better. Smug bastard. I bet he was enjoying every second of this. So there were no warning signs? Was she acting differently at all? Anything you can provide will help us, Mark. And your family. Closure is important. He was writing everything down in a tiny notebook. Either notes on my demeanor or meaningless doodles. Could have been either. Well, yeah, I, I guess you've been acting a little off-key lately. Kind of back and forth, really. Either being really quiet or acting out verbally. I'm not really sure what was up. I've been so busy lately. I was kind of letting the wife deal with her. Exactly. You left it up to that bitch. Guess she didn't do her job very well, did she? And the wounds on your arms... What the hell happened up there? Emily's room looks like a tornado hit it. This was the part I was afraid of. How could I explain it to him if I didn't fully understand myself? She had the door blocked with the armoire. I heard her yelling and screaming. I had to break in. It sounded like someone was in there with her. The mirror must have snapped off in the process. Cut me up pretty bad. It was all true. He just doesn't believe you, dummy. That dresser is huge, Mark. How the hell could she have moved it? Unless she was scared to death of someone. Scared for her life, maybe. For you or your wife chasing her? Maybe for something she did. A part of me resented him for what he was suggesting, though I understood how it must have looked to an outsider. I was now sweating profusely. Absolutely not. Jess and I were having some words, and I heard Emily run up the stairs behind us. She must have been listening in. She did that all the time. As quiet as a mouse. 
I think she was upset that we were fighting again. We were going to approach her about it. We had even mentioned it to each other just yesterday. Now, please, can I speak to my family? Please. I've had enough. I can't do any more. Not today. Truer words I had never spoken. All right, Mark, I guess that's enough for now. You might be hearing from me in the near future. Your wife as well. And as I said earlier, I'm very sorry for your loss. Prayers to you and yours. I was just happy that I wasn't leaving in cuffs. I'm sure that's what Steiger was hoping for, that motherfucker. As soon as I began to make my way to the curb to finally see my family, Jack busted from Jess's arms and came at me, wailing as only a person in mourning would. He nearly knocked me over as he plowed into me. I held him tightly as we cried together, soaking each other's shirts in the process. Jack and Emily were partners in crime, even with their age difference. The very best of friends. The road ahead would undoubtedly be an impossible one for all of us. Jess got up from the tear-soaked curb and slowly made her way towards Jack and I. As she reached us, I expected her to join in the embrace, as any person in her position would, though that is not what happened. She simply stood there and put her hand on Jack's shoulder, with her other hand held tightly to her face. It was clear that she didn't even want to look at me. Amazing. What familial instincts. What did you tell the officer, Jess? He was definitely taking a certain approach with me. Jess whispered, Just the truth, Mark. Just the truth. Oh, I'm sure. Chapter 11 Resurrection The next few days were even more difficult than I imagined they would be. I was not normally a big drinker, but in this case I made an exception. It was a bottle of vodka a day type situation, give or take a shot or two. Jess and I barely spoke unless it was with the funeral home and we were trying to make arrangements together. No matter how much I tried to avoid it or somehow numb the pain, I kept seeing the scene unfold in my mind's eye as I cried my actual eyes out all the while. But what was even worse were the noises that kept playing back. The rat-tat-tat of Emily's head smacking off the aluminum siding and the impact of the driveway against her body. It was the new soundtrack earworm that I just could not shake. I was most concerned with Jack, though, who pretty much clammed up altogether. Never a good sign. I tried talking with him about it during my more sober moments, but he wasn't biting. I supposed that it would simply take a little time. The day of Emily's viewing was the absolute worst. To know, for sure, that I was going to see my daughter's earthly body for the very last time had me on the verge of a full-blown panic attack. It probably would have helped if I was a God-fearing man, but that was not the case. I spent the majority of my early years as a good little Catholic schoolboy, but eventually, as it did with most of us, it just got ridiculous. All of that time spent kneeling just didn't seem quite right. As we all got older, we realized that it was simply another scam forced upon the weak-minded, 
just another tool used to assert dominance and control. I am not a pawn, and I'm not a nail, and would prefer not to be treated as one. Emily was not going off to some magical afterlife, no. She would instead end up eaten by the worms. The finality of it proved quite the roadblock. I can see why the fairy tales are still in fashion. So easy, so quaint. I drove my family to Ozog's funeral home in the midst of an absolute downpour. Metaphorically, it fit quite well. They wanted us there just a little early to make sure that the setup was just what we had spoken about, so we did just that. Jess and Jack went in to see Emily right away, but I stayed behind in the lobby as I took sips from my pocketed flask every now and then. I simply wasn't sure if I was going to be able to handle it. My plan was to save my turn for the end, just in case I ended up melting into the floor right there. My wife agreed, considering the mental obstacles I'd been going through as of late. I could hear Jess's cries from outside as she looked at her little girl's dead body. It was at that moment when the strangest thing popped into my head. Emily was Jess's blood, but she wasn't mine. Would the grieving somehow be easier for me since I wasn't her actual biological father? Would I be taking it worse if Jack were laid up in that casket instead? Although I didn't have the answers to those questions, guilt began to wash over me nonetheless. What did you do? How could you? I watched from the very back corner of the room as the line formed. I had been to so many of these things, and my position on it has never wavered. It's strange, and it's morbid, lining up to see the mortal remains of a person covered in bad makeup and somber clothing. Many make the claim that it helps with closure, but I'm not so sure. Maybe it just makes things worse. The line grew and grew until it was out the door. I spotted folks I hadn't seen in years. It's a shame that it takes an actual death to bring old friends around again. There was one person, however, who really surprised me by their presence. It was Daniel, for Christ's sake. The whole way from New York. Jess must have called him. I sure as hell didn't. As soon as we locked eyes, he approached. Mark, I don't know what to say. I'm so very sorry. Daniel put his hand on my shoulder. I was trembling. I looked up at him from my seat in the darkened corner and realized for the first time how much younger he was than me. Not a single line on his face or a trace of a gray hair. Yet the situation at hand was trying to change that fact moment by moment. His emotion was obviously very real, raw, and new to him. I rose to my feet and embraced the man like a brother or even a son. Thank you for coming, Dan. It means a lot. I'm still trying to, uh, you know, process everything. Just way too much to take in. My voice quaked and tears began to flow again. Of course, I can't imagine what you're going through. Whatever you guys need, just say the word. I'm just a phone call away. I'm not going back to New York until early next week either. Gonna hunker down at the Days Inn and get some actual work done. If you need me, I'll come. 
I knew that he meant it, too. You've always been so good to me, Dan. I won't forget it. Always helping me out. And about the book... Don't even think about it. You gotta take care of yourself and your family. Nothing else. We'll figure it out when the time's right. And I already talked to the publisher anyways. You're solid. I couldn't believe it. He saved my ass again. He gave me his usual wink and handshake before he took his spot in line with the rest. It was now the whole way to the door, which I was fine with. I was in no rush to stare death in the face. Before I knew it, though, it was just me and a nearly empty room, except for Jess and Emily. Jack had gone home with Jess's mom to kind of get away from things for a bit. After the viewing was all taken care of, Jess and I were going to follow suit. We thought it best to stay away from our house. The night before the funeral was going to be terrible enough already, much less spending it in the place where Emily passed. Jess came over to me, looking extremely worn out from the ungodly stress of the past week. I could only imagine how bad I looked, but the last thing I wanted to do was stare into the mirror at the worthless piece of shit I had become. Fucking tie probably wasn't even straight. Just take your time, hun. It's your daughter. You have to say goodbye. If you need me, I'll be right out in the hall. A part of me wanted to clutch her hand and keep her there with me, but I knew I had to do it alone. There was a lot that I wanted to say, a lot that Jess couldn't hear, ever. I approached the casket slowly, with my head held low and my eyes closed. The incense attacked my nostrils, readying my senses for what lie before me. I so badly wanted to wake up from the nightmare I was in but I knew that good old Mark wasn't getting out of this one. No way. I positioned myself at the kneeler, took the deepest breath of my life, and carefully opened my eyes. There she was. Even in death, my baby pea was still the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. They had really done a great job with her. The hair was perfect, the dress immaculate, the very picture of an actual angel. My mind raced back to her birth and how difficult it was for me. I could remember how terrible I felt as the nurse called me by Jess's ex-boyfriend's name and how very lonely and out of place I was. There had been a point in time when I nearly ran from the hospital room to never come back, but I'm so very, very glad that I didn't. When Emily finally entered the world and looked at me for the first time, all of the selfish bullshit just melted away. It was meant to be. And in death, I felt exactly the same. It was meant to be. Or was it? As I marveled at the angel before me, I noticed another black fly, this time circling my daughter's body. It landed on Emily's cheek and moved close to her lips. As I swatted it away, I accidentally touched Emily's face and brushed some of the makeup off with my fingers. I looked down at the flesh-colored smear on my fingertips as I heard a familiar voice. Oh, Daddy, I'm so sick of this game. Is it time to go home yet? It was my baby, P. Come back to me. 
Her eyes opened and she raised her head gently from the ornate pillow. It was all just a joke. I wept with happiness. Emily, what are you doing? You had us scared to death. Your mother's going to kill you. Daddy, shh. It's not over yet. Let's scare mommy some more. Pick me up and let me touch the sky, just like we used to do. Without hesitation, Emily stood right up in the casket, kicked off her shoes, and jumped into my arms. Come on, Daddy. Let me go high like the birdies. And so, in the midst of the greatest relief of my godforsaken life, I launched my baby pee into the air again and again, each time higher than the last. Emily shouted with joy, with the biggest smile on her lovely face. We had beaten death. My baby was back. Mark, no. For the love of God, stop. Being the perpetual buzzkill that she was, Jess ran into the room and snatched Emily from my arms. Oh, Jess, let her go. She wants to play some more. Without warning, I was tackled from behind and fell to the floor. It was the funeral director. Mark, get a hold of yourself. Emily's gone. She's not coming back. The old man stared me right in the eyes, trying to get through to me. I looked over at Jess, who was still holding Emily's limp body, and realized what I had done. See, Mark, you are ours. You see what we want you to see. You do as we want you to do. After about a half an hour spent trying to regain some bit of composure herself, Jess sat me down in the lobby and attempted to calm me down, while the funeral director was busy repositioning Emily's corpse and fixing her clothing. I couldn't believe that I had defiled such a sacred thing. It was clear that the limits of depravity no longer existed. Come on, honey. Let's just go back to my parents and try to get some rest. Staying around here isn't going to do us any good. Jess, it was so real. She sat right up, and she talked to me. I'm fucking losing it. I'm so scared. My hands were shaking, and I couldn't stop them. I believe you. Maybe we can get you some help. You would like that, right? We just have to get through tomorrow first. Do you think you can? Jess clutched my hands as she spoke and tried to stop the tremors. Just... just take me home. I need to be alone. I have to work this all out. Please. Are you sure? Don't you want to be here with us tonight? I don't think you should be alone in the state you're in. It's the only way I can do this. Please, just trust me. Warily and against her wishes, Jess complied. I spent the rest of the evening at home, busy on the driveway, trying to scrub away the bit of dried blood that still remained from the impact. It simply would not go away, no matter how hard I tried. Or maybe it was all in my head. It was now very clear to me that I had to question every little thing my senses relayed to me. Not everything was as it seemed. As I gave up on my task and turned to the porch light, I noticed a for sale sign in Harold's yard. I guess he couldn't hack it after all. Fucking punk. 
Chapter 12 Marlin 336 I, Mark Rowland, did not wake up on the morning of my daughter's funeral. Someone else was in my place. I was now a simple passenger, watching from the inside and listening. I had experienced this before when I was deep in those trances on Ocean Avenue, stalking the old DeFeo digs. But this was not Ocean Avenue, and it was surely no dream I was experiencing. All control was gone. I was now simply along for the ride, and guiltily, it was a relief, because I was tired. It was strange to listen to me take Jess's call at 7am, and even stranger to hear her replies. I told her that I wasn't feeling well, and that I wasn't sure if I could handle it. She seemed concerned, to a point, though she cut me off relatively quickly, as if she had already anticipated my absence in advance. I guess I shouldn't have been too surprised, considering that I had lifted my daughter's corpse from the casket and thrown it into the air the night before, like some mindless ghoul. I hadn't even changed my clothes or bathed since then. The funeral makeup from my daughter's face was still visible on my wrinkled shirt and tie. Regardless of my appearance, I grabbed my wallet and keys and walked out of the garage to my car. Apparently, I was going somewhere. Wherever I was headed, I knew that it couldn't be good. The end of the story was approaching. That I could feel. I just didn't want anyone else to get hurt. Myself? I didn't give a shit about that whatsoever. That would be preferential, anyways. Living with myself after everything that went down wasn't going to be an easy thing to achieve. My own death, even a painful one, would be much easier for every single person involved. Jess would finally get me out of the way. I was more than surprised when the car pulled into the gold buyer's parking lot. Was I going to rob it? Cause a scene, maybe? It made no sense. Regardless, I stepped out of the car and walked up to the front door. It was one of those establishments that requires a customer to be buzzed in due to the nature of the business, so I hit the tiny button off to the side. I heard the door unlock, and I proceeded into the building. I was greeted by the man at the counter, but did not provide even the smallest gesture of introduction back to him. Without hesitating for even a second, I walked off to the right, past the jewelry, past the antiques, directly to the guns hanging on the wall in the back corner. Whoever, or whatever, was controlling me knew exactly where to go. I had never even been in this certain store before, yet you would think I was a regular. And as far as guns went, I was absolutely useless. I had never shot anything in my entire fucking life. I heard you guys have a Marlin 336C that you picked up recently. 1970s model? I'd love to check it out. I knew right away what was going on. That was the make and model of Ronnie Jr.'s rifle. The trances were becoming reality. The older-looking fellow behind the gun counter threw me a blank stare of confusion as he adjusted his ball cap. We just got it in yesterday. Didn't even have a chance to put it out here yet. How did you know? It's not advertised. Oh yeah, 
My good buddy Ronnie said it was here. One of his friends sold it to you? The response that flew out of my mouth was flawless, completely believable. Sure, just wait right here. I'll grab it from the back. Within moments, the man came back holding the very item that the demon inside me was looking for. As I looked at it, I was kind of taken aback. It was a relatively small rifle and with lever action nonetheless, not much bigger than the old toy pellet gun I used to own when I was a kid. It was crazy to think that another of its kind was used to inflict so much devastation on that poor family back in 74. Well, sir, here she is. Vintage Marlin 336C from 1972. Six-round capacity. It's seen better days, but sure is a classic. And it works perfectly. You can put a lot of game on the table with this thing. Check it out for yourself. He handed me the weapon, and my hands went to work along the stock and barrel both, appreciating its beauty. I spoke. 35 caliber, right? That's what Ronnie told me it was, at least. Apparently, it had to be a perfect match, for the pure nostalgia of it, I suppose. Oh, no, sir, I'm sorry. This is the model that spits the 3030s. Works just as well, though. I hope that's not a deal-breaker for you. I, on the other hand, was hoping that it was. Abort the mission. Go home. Sleep it off. Not so easy, Mark. We can make an exception in your case. Wouldn't want to spoil everything, now would we? I guess not. Still do the job, obviously. How much? The forces at work would not be deterred. Well, I think we can do 350 for you. It does have a little wear and tear. Normally, these go for 450 or more. If you throw in some free 3030s, I'd love to take it off your hands. Shrewd. The cashier smiled and shook my hand. You've got yourself a deal, sir. After all, you are a town treasure. I absolutely love your work. We did a little paperwork and the transaction was complete. Within no time, I was on my way home with the Marlin 336 riding shotgun right beside me and a box of shells in the glove box. As we approached the house, I was already expecting and hoping for a quick death for myself. Jess and Jack weren't home, thankfully, so I didn't have to worry about them. Sure, it would be traumatic finding the body, but at least they wouldn't have to hear it or possibly walk in on me in the middle of it. Unfortunately, as I drove right past my home without slowing, I realized that suicide was not part of the current plan that was in store for me. Oh no, Mark. That would be much too easy. I'll show you how it's done. And don't worry. This time we won't let her get away. Oh God. The jogger. The car pulled over right in front of what I assumed to be her house. I now understood why I didn't stick around last time to see exactly where she went. Unfortunately, the demon somehow already knew. I grabbed the 3030s out of the glove compartment and proceeded to load the Marlin with the six unnecessary bullets, just like I had in the DeFeo residence during those dark fantasies in the writing room. My hands speedily completed the task ending the ritual by cocking the lever, thus readying the weapon for discharge. I couldn't believe it. It was actually happening. 
and I couldn't do a damned thing to stop it. The woman's house was impressive, perfect in every way, with a literal white picket fence around her front yard. But unlike my living arrangements, her home was not a few feet away from asshole neighbors on every side. She actually had a bit of space, which I absolutely yearned for. My finger pressed the button near the front door, and I heard the doorbell ring from inside the house. Now, watch as I work. We'll take her first, of course, and if her husband is home, we will still take her, but make him watch while we do it. What fun! The rifle was positioned behind my right leg, with the stock resting on the porch. Of course, it would be presented at the most perfect time. I hit the doorbell again. I wondered who it would be, husband or wife, at first. And would there be much of a struggle? Answer the door, you fucking bitch! Come on, I don't have all day! I looked around and realized that there weren't any cars in sight besides mine. The driveway was absolutely empty. Pure blind luck is all it was. They simply weren't home. Some people get all the breaks. Fuck! As my alter ego was obviously angered at this change of plans, we stormed off of the porch and re-entered the vehicle, tossing the weapon in the back seat. But I knew we weren't done. Not by a long shot. And to make things even worse, it was no longer I nor him. Only... Us. One and the same. Even though I was not the one in control, the reason why any of it was happening at all was because of me. We drove back to the house, with the important things still left unfinished and the overwhelming sense of dread growing in strength, moment by moment. The next place we found ourselves was in Emily's room, which was still in shambles from the events of the other day. We crunched through the pieces of broken wood and glass, gun in hand, and sat down on the edge of my baby pea's pink-blanketed bed. The voice in my head stopped altogether. It wasn't taunting me. It wasn't planning the next move. It was simply silent. I so badly wanted for the barrel to be raised to our own forehead and for the trigger to be pulled with impunity. But, no, little did I know, the final act was just about to begin. Downstairs, the brass knob in the living room turned with a squeak, and the front door was opened. Dad, are you here? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. 
Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Apartments.com has more pet-friendly rental listings than anywhere else. So finding the perfect place is easier than ever. And so is finally moving in together. Just the two of you. It's a big step. Lots of new responsibilities. Lots of adjustments. Most likely, they'll wake you up at odd hours to go to the bathroom. And you'll most definitely find yourself in trouble coming home late for dinner. They might even unroll all your toilet paper next time. It's just what happens when you two find a new place together. But you're not doing it because you feel like it. No, you're doing it because you love them. Because they're family. And that's why Apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet so that you and your furry family can find the perfect new place together. Apartments.com, the place to find a pet-friendly place. Chapter 13 Family Contrary to what Jess had told me earlier in the day, my family had decided to come home one day early to greet me. Surprises are great, aren't they? We quickly jumped from the mattress and slid the rifle underneath Emily's bed. Our heart was beating so very quickly. I wasn't sure if it was from my own absolute panic or the demon's pure excitement. Regardless, two new victims had just entered the picture. I knew that it wasn't going to be good. All I had figured was that I had to find a way to break out of this trance that I was in, to break this mental hold that these forces had over me. We bounded down the stairs, and when we reached the landing, there they were, in all their mournful glory, standing at the door. Both were dressed in black, fresh from a funeral dinner, with their eyes swelled up from hours worth of sobbing and their patriarch had left them to deal with it, all on their own. Still, they were not giving up on me just yet. Then again, that's what real families do. I couldn't believe I had taken them for granted for so damned long. And now, it was too late. Dad, we missed you! Jack sprinted up the stairs in desperation, nearly knocking us over with another powerful hug. I cringed, however, because I didn't feel it. The demon, on the other hand, he patted Jack on the head. I missed you too, Jack. Sorry I couldn't be there. I just wasn't strong enough, I guess. Jack looked up at us with tears in his eyes and forgiveness in his face. That's okay, Dad. You're the strongest guy I know anyways. Jack, honey... Go ahead up to your room and get into your regular clothes. Let me and Dad talk for a minute. Jess's tone was stern. Jack released his grasp and started off toward his room. It was now just me and her. I had no idea what to expect. I descended the stairs until we were eye to eye. It was tough. Really tough, Mark. But then again, you knew it would be. A part of me actually thought you were going to be there. You know, for your family, for your son, for me. It was pretty embarrassing having to tell people you weren't going to show up for your own daughter's funeral. 
Can you imagine how that looks? Daniel was livid. He almost came over here to come drag you out of here, but I told him not to. Everything she said was understandable, but what she didn't know was that if it was up to me, I would have gone. I was hoping that someday, maybe I would get to tell her that myself. At the moment, though, my words were chosen for me, and chosen carefully they were. I know you're pissed. I get it. But what do you want me to say? You saw what happened last night. I'm not necessarily in a normal state of mind right now. Did you want me to show up and ruin everything? Really give the people something to talk about? Holy Christ, Jess. I need some help here. A little support. A masterful response, if I may say so myself. Trust me, Mark. You will get it, and soon. I can't take any more. We will call around tomorrow and get you set up with an appointment. And if you don't go, I'm out of here. This is your last chance. Are you serious? You're throwing ultimatums around at a time like this. From deep inside my body, my anger grew. I just can't do it. It's too much. Too many things. Too much hurt. I want my husband back. She was serious. She would leave me. Fine. I will try. You set it up and I will go. But just so you know, I will never forget this, Jess. Never. And Mark, one more thing. Go get cleaned up for God's sake. I can't believe you're wearing those filthy clothes from last night. Take a shower. You're not some fucking child. Jess stormed up the stairs as usual. It was always important to her to get that last word in. It made it so much more dramatic. But if it was drama she was after, she would surely receive it. For the rest of the evening, Jess avoided us like the plague. Even simple eye contact was non-existent. It was clear that we would be riding the couch yet again, but that didn't bother us one bit. Jack, on the other hand, he had a soft spot for his old man. Before he turned in, he came down to the living room to visit me. He sat on the edge of the couch as I lay there, occupied with the decorative swirls and the ceiling panels. You can sleep in my bed if you want to, Dad. I can stay on the couch or use the sleeping bag in my room. It's no big deal. He was such a sweet boy. Always was. Too bad he had an asshole for a father. It hurt me that I couldn't respond like I wanted to. No, Jack, it's okay. I'll be fine. Just go get some rest. I appreciate the offer, though, buddy. Are we gonna be okay, Dad? It just feels like we won't be. Now that Emily's gone, it feels like we're a big puzzle, but kind of missing the final piece. He definitely hit the nail on the head. It was a pretty deep thing to say for a kid. He needed his father. The world is a scary place, Jack, and we have to go through a lot of scary things. But as long as you stay strong and stick with your family, you can get through anything. Even something like this. Never forget that. Jack nodded his head, smiled, and went upstairs. For the first time in days, it was actually my own words being heard, and not the beast's. I did not know why. 
My body then went to sleep, although the mind was still deep at work. Wake up, dummy! It's time! I was jolted violently awake by the shouting. The voice was back, and so was the lack of control. We trudged up the stairs, still in our nightclothes, and made a stop in Emily's room. We got on our hands and knees, and retrieved the rifle from underneath the bed. We had to be careful, though. The rifle was still cocked from earlier in the day. We wouldn't want an accidental discharge now, would we? The next stop was the hall closet, where we collected a handful of small tea-light candles along with a lighter. I wasn't sure what the demon's plan was, but I had a feeling deep in my gut that the endgame was upon us. Death was fast approaching. The ritual took place in the writing room, amongst all of the trinkets of death I had collected over the past few years. The candles were positioned in the middle of the wooden floor in a kind of makeshift pentagram, then lit one by one. We sat in the middle and cradled the Marlin 336 in our lap as if it were a living being. I could clearly see the flickering of the flame's reflection in the eyes of Amityville themselves. They had done their job better than I could have ever expected. I played with fire, yes, and was now engulfed. The flames were now inextinguishable. We meditated in silence, both man and beast, together in the same living being, as we readied ourselves for the final step. Before leaving the room, we grabbed the laptop from the desk, opened it, and snapped it in half onto our knee, discarding the broken pieces onto the floor. The time for words had ended. Now, only action. The house was still and quiet, the kind of quiet you only notice when in the midst of a deep focus or concentration. There is a great beauty to be found in the absence of sound. Our footsteps were light, our muscles taut, and the rifle prepared. And poor Jess, she was fast asleep. We watched her for a few moments as her beautiful features were illuminated by the incoming light of a waxing moon. Then we turned on her bedside lamp. She sprang up, face to face with the barrel of the marlin. Now what, you fucking bitch? Is this what you wanted? Where's your confidence now? We quickly yanked the sheet off of her nearly nude body and saw that she had already messed herself with piss from the shock. She began to shake and hyperventilate. We placed the barrel gently onto the tips of Jess's toes and slowly caressed her body with the steel. It was nearly a sensual act, running it lightly up her calf and thigh, teasing her womanhood with it slipping it in between her sweat-moistened breasts until we finally inserted it into her mouth, parting her lips and exposing her teeth and gum line. She moved her head about, trying to avoid it, but we only shoved it further into her mouth until she gagged. At this point, shock turned to complete fear, and she began to cry, but we would have none of it. Tears? What do you know about tears, about pain? Nothing, but we will teach you. 
your disrespect, your whoring ways, they're over. We brought the tip of the barrel flush against her forehead. Our finger was tickling the trigger. It had to be done. It's time, Mark. Let's end her. Time is up. Then, on to the boy. On the verge of ultimate punishment, my wife spoke. I'm sorry. I never meant to hurt you, Mark. If I could take things back, I would. I can't change the past. No one can. But I love you, and I know you are in there somewhere. We need you. Jack needs you. We are a family. Somehow, some way, I began to realize the truth as Jess was begging for our very lives. She was fighting not just for herself, but for all of us. That's what real family does. With all of the strength I could muster, for myself and for my family, I pushed the demon's voice out of my mind and out of my heart with four simple words. I love you too. I dropped the marlin onto the mattress and crumpled to the pillows next to my wife. Jess, go get Jack and get the hell out of here. Wait out on the street for me. I have to end this, and I have to end it now, before it takes me again. No, let's just leave. We'll go and never come back. Screw the house. Screw the things. It's all evil. My only chance is to get rid of it. I'm not running. I'm never running again. For the first time in his measly life, Mark Rowland stood his ground and fought for what he believed in. His family. Chapter 14 Shattered Hopes The story began with a man unafraid of deviance and perversion, and that's exactly how it needed to end. My body was the conduit, but that godforsaken room held the battery. For the time being, I was myself, and I knew that I had to make the very most of the opportunity while I could. With rifle in hand, I marched up to the attic as a soldier, ready to give up his life for his family. Surely, the enemy would be armed in its own way. The voices from Ocean Avenue fought with bullets of the mind and with knives of trickery and persuasion, which were much more dangerous than any physical weapon could ever be. Still, I continued on. The room was just as we had left it. The candles were still lit, the flames burning bright. The star of the devil was very much alive. I stopped in the doorway for a moment and beheld the absolute monstrosity I had created. I felt embarrassed as I took it all in. Each demented relic was an ignorant mistake of grand proportions. Dahmer's cutlery, Gacy's paintings, Manson's hair, even a piece of Armin Maiva's bathtub. They were monuments to deviance and suffering. Though, at my core, I was disgusted by these items and the men who had owned them, I had sold my soul for these pieces, just to continue the farce that was my writing career. It seemed so ridiculous and selfish. Was that the man I really was? A damned fool? And yes, the centerpieces of the morbid collection. Those goddamned windows. Fuck my soul. I don't need it. 
They took something much more important. My daughter. I bolted into the room and beelined directly for those eyes. With the butt end of the marlin that the demon had purchased himself, I smashed out every single piece of glass and wood that I could until the attack on my mind commenced. As it had before, the piercing whine entered my brain, with the sound growing in volume, bouncing back and forth off of my cranium until it was deafening. I fell to my knees and dropped the gun to the floor. Oh, Mark, we will end you if we have to. It doesn't have to be this way. After all, we're a team. I could only think of my daughter as I crumpled further into the fetal position, with my hands grasping at my pulsating temples. On the verge of giving in to the beast... I could only come up with one thing to do. I would burn it all down. With every ounce of energy I had left, I crawled to the candles on the floor and began to toss them one by one towards the decorative drapery in front of the windows. They lit with ease. Just as the flames began to travel to the ceiling and lick at the drywall, I fell even further into the abyss. I felt the floor shake from underneath my knees, and the walls themselves crackled like eggshells. For a moment, I felt like I was going to fall into the pits of hell itself. I witnessed John Wayne Gacy's Pogo the Clown painting come to life before my very eyes, with each balloon becoming real and floating out of the frame into the ceiling. One by one, they popped from the growing heat. The cartoonish clown waved at me and smiled before his hand reached out from the painting itself. At the other end of the wall, Dahmer's forks and spoons shot out from the glass frame that they were encased in, smacking the crumbling walls behind me with force. The agents of evil were bearing down, but I knew, deep in my soul, that it was all just a game. Their game. As the smoke grew and began to choke me, I crawled my way to the open door. Freedom was mine for the taking, before the door slammed shut in my face. They weren't going to let me off the hook that easily. Burn with us, Mark. You belong here. Why do you have to be such a fucking pussy all the time? Just take it like a man! The heat was unbearable. I threw my glasses to the floor as the metal frames began to singe my skin. I needed out. I took my shirt off, wrapped my hand with it, and attempted to turn the doorknob, which was now scalding hot as well. The door was locked. I strained backwards as hard as I could, but to no avail. I didn't have much longer left. Who do you want to taste your charred flesh first? Jeffrey, John, or maybe even Butch himself. You can meet them all, if you wish. They're all here with me, just as you'll be. I was out of air and could barely see through the blackened smoke. I began to imagine the small gathering at my very own funeral. Jess and Jack were there, leading the procession, placing flowers on the shiny black casket. The scene was grayed out like an old British comedy, though laughter was noticeably absent. 
They would drop me right down into the hole next to my poor daughter. How appropriate. The two final victims of November 13th, 1974. Though discovered decades too late. My vision was blurring in and out, and my consciousness was slipping. But the one thing I was able to spot near my feet was the Marlin 336C. I had to try. Not for me, but for them. I could hear my flesh searing as I pawed at the barrel, but I was able to hoist it from my knees and point the rifle right at the doorknob. I pulled the trigger. Strangely enough... The only shell that exited Ronnie's favorite rifle that night was the one that set me free. I rolled down the stairs and out the front door of my home with the devil himself nipping at my heels. Jess and Jack were there waiting for me, as well as the rest of the street. I could only imagine the tales the neighbors would tell of good old Mark Rowland and his burning house of horrors. But ironically, I no longer cared. The three of us sat on the curb, held each other tightly, and watched our beautiful home on our perfect street on a gorgeous summer's night collapse in on itself. Just as the fire department arrived, we could hear the remaining five shells pop off in the midst of the inferno. No one thought anything of it, but I knew better. It was the demon getting the final word. In the midst of the complete insanity we were dealing with, my cell phone went off. It was Daniel. Even though I was barely able to breathe and coughing terribly from the smoke, I knew I had to answer it this time. Hello? Mark? Hey, Dan. You alright? You sound terrible. Are those sirens? Sure are. I just burned my house down. But I do have one hell of a story to tell you. Fen. Afterward. A note from the author. So, there you have it. I went back and forth about putting this out at all, as the wounds are still as fresh as a bloated corpse, but I know that it was necessary. And no, there is no resolution, no happy ending. I lost my daughter and put my family through an immense amount of pain. And for what? So I could finish my book? Well, here is the fucking book. No frills, no bullshit. Just a record of my growing insanity. Mark it well, because it is a warning. Do not tempt the devil, as he will get back to you with an offer quite promptly. Most will scoff at the supernatural aspects of this story and place the blame squarely on my shoulders. That is perfectly fine. In many ways, I'm as tainted as those windows ever were. I invited the darkness in, and that darkness multiplied my own by tenfold. We fed off of each other a give and take of pain, loss, and suffering that did nothing but fuel the destructive forces in my own mind and heart. I am the only villain of this tale. I own that. I'm sure that I'll go down in the annals of literary history as nothing but a minuscule footnote depicting just another author who lost his mind, and that might be appropriate. Karma, 
working its magic? Possibly. And I also know that I will be lumped in with the Lutzes, the paranormal wackos, and all the movie makers as just another one of the liars trying to cash in on one of the most gruesome true crime stories of our time. You can think what you want about me, but I will tell you this. The energies coming from those windows were as real as it gets. I wanted the evil, and that's exactly what I received. Most of you will never know how it feels to have a true devil on your back. Be thankful for that. And to anyone who has ever enjoyed even the smallest nugget of my writings in some way, I am thankful for you. I'm just sorry that things turned out the way that they did. Rest assured, I will be paying for it with the rest of my life. I have a lot of work ahead of me. And yes, even after everything that has been said and done, I sometimes still hear those voices from Ocean Avenue taunting me from the dark. For whatever reason, they are not through with me just yet. Forever in Words Mark Rowland. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. You've been listening to The Eyes of Amityville by Mark Rowland. And that, listeners, concludes Mr. Rowland's tale. I hope that Mark and his family have found some modicum of peace since these horrific events, and I appreciate him sharing his story with us. I also appreciate Danielle Hewitt, who provided the voices of Jess, Emily, and the Jogger during these recent episodes. And, of course, I appreciate you, dear listeners. Making you squirm in your seats is a true joy during these cold months. I'll be back next week with more stories to chill your bones. And in the meantime, listeners, stay spooky. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Tonight's episode was hosted and narrated by yours truly, Eric Peabody. Original music provided by Eric Peabody and Nikki McSorley. Finalization by Eric Peabody and Craig Groshek. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? Email it to us at natalie at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your work considered for future production. Seeing as how we're all living in a technological nightmare of our own devising, I'll ask you to follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on social media and upvote, subscribe, and hit the bell notification icon if you're listening to this on YouTube. Not only will you have appeased the dark gods of cyberspace, but you'll be kept in the loop as we prepare more terrifying content. If you'd like access to uninterrupted horror, free of ads and these annoying bookend segments, 
might I recommend becoming a patron? You'll get access to hundreds of episodes of this show, as well as everything from the other programs in the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Cabal. That means all of Otis Jiry's scary stories told in the dark, Drew Blood's dark tales, Paul J. McSorley's Fear from the Heartland, and more. It's a veritable smorgasbord of horrific delights. As for me personally, I'm on most social media as Viking Guitar or Viking Guitar Productions. I'm always on the lookout for new stories to narrate and new music projects to mix or master. If that's of interest to you, feel free to reach out and we can talk turkey. Also, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.